Hey, welcome to Deconstructing Bush. I'm your host, Beulah Marie, and today is concert day. Yes, I've decided to record an episode this morning to talk about my excitement and, of course, to dive into some lyrical analysis. Today, I'll be discussing Greedy Fly. But first, yay, tonight is the Bush show, uh, of course, with Allison Chains and Breaking Benjamin. I have meet and greet passes, but I'm in like neurotic meltdown mode because I'm trying to figure out timing as far as traffic and parking and getting inside the venue in time as to not be late for the meet and greet goes. Um, So my anxiety about this has been a little intense this morning, but I am super excited. And this is so nerdy, but because I sometimes get awkward in person, I am embarrassingly bringing letters for the guys. So I wrote them letters. They may or may not read them, but I figured I would at least introduce myself in a letter and tell them about this podcast in case I get shy or freeze up or don't have the time during the meet and greet. Um, and I, I've met them twice before, but like, listen, I've worked for a radio station and an entertainment blog. So I have met celebrities. I've done interviews with artists, you know, on their tour bus in a studio, different places, meet and greets just aren't the same uh, as actually sitting down with somebody. And I know meet and greets are kind of a scam most of the time. You get two seconds to say hi and get a picture, maybe get a, do a handshake or something. You feel awkward. The band feels awkward. It's rushed. It's sometimes chaotic. They're probably impatient and antsy because they're about to go on and perform. You, you know, usually a half hour or an hour after the meet and greet, it's just not the same as like sitting down and chatting person to person. And I wish it was, but it's not. And that's okay. So I'm going into it with realistic expectations. And maybe I'll get a hug and a photo and give them my silly little letters. I'm such a dork. Uh, I'm pumped for the show, though. Um, I got like eighth row-ish uh, on the floor. So eighth row in the seats, not the pit. Um quick little side note that's related. I went to the Lady Gaga show on Monday in Washington, D.C., and it was amazing. She's great. Sorry, not sorry. Um, I know she's not rock music, uh, but I love her nonetheless. She's really, really cool and an awesome performer. Um, But anyway, while we had floor seats there, they were not good. Um, The venue, which was the Nationals Park in D.C., was an absolute nightmare The entry process was not smooth. It was a logistical mess. The weather, it was just way too sweltering hot. So it was a great show, great performance, amazing concert, but just not a great experience. Um, And how this relates to me not having pit tickets for tonight, um, I have some joint and musculoskeletal issues Um, so joint and muscle issues that I've had since childhood. And at the Gaga concert on Monday, my knee, my left knee was in so much pain the whole time that I like had tears in my eyes and could barely remain present and in the moment and enjoy the show, which sucked because again, I love her, you know, and I was so excited. So that was a bummer. Um, today I wake up and my left knee still feels kind of iffy, but now my right index finger hurts. Because again, I have joint issues and not the fun kind of joint, right? So 
I, yeah, pit tickets for tonight wouldn't have been a great idea. I mean, I was just at a Rage Against the Machine show and I've been to Ozfest and Xfest and all kinds of rock concerts. And I know that pits can get a little rowdy. <laughs> um, and when you're me uh, with my joint and muscle issues, it's just, you know, when you have that type of pain anyway, it's just not really worth it. Plus I'm super short. Um, so I would be getting knocked around. Um, plus, I'll be honest, I've already had the pleasure of seeing Bush from third, uh, from front row. Uh, let me start that sentence over. <laughs> I have already had the pleasure of seeing Bush from front row like three times already. So I can deal with eighth row today and not being in the pit or in the first row, you know? Um, and I'm super excited regardless. I also pre-ordered the new album today and I plan on buying merch at the show. So yeah, super fan over here. Okay, so let's uh, dive into today's episode. Um, again, we're going to do an interpretation of Greedy Fly, but another uh, quick note uh, I want to share. So I'm like a literary-minded person. I was an English major. I write fiction novels and nonfiction books and medical news articles and song lyrics and poetry and all of it. So a lot of the time when I'm analyzing lyrics and I say him or he or the narrator, I don't necessarily mean Gavin Rossdale himself. Like, yes, he wrote the words and he's singing the song, but I don't think that inherently means that it's always about him or his feelings, at least not fully and not every single line from every single song right? Like a writer can kind of write as someone else or from the perspective of some version of themselves, you know, heightened reality and all of that. But sometimes the song or book or poem isn't even about them, even if they are singing or writing in first person. So, you know, I've mentioned this before, but don't conflate my analysis with what I think of Gavin personally, for example. So, if I say this person can't feel emotion or this is about drugs or he's saying that he's selfish and incapable of love, I am not like <laughs> saying that about him as a person. Like I'm not like this passive aggressive weirdo like uh, and I don't know him like, you know, um, so I am looking at this through the lens and scope of art, not literal reality um, when I give my analysis for this or any other song. I'm not necessarily talking about Gavin, right? You know what I mean? Um, you have to be able to divorce the words and their meanings from like necessarily attaching them to a specific person. Separate the art from the artist and all of that. You know, some songs and some lyrics might be um, autobiographical in nature, but some might be utter fiction. You know? Does that make sense? Uh, so that's just my point of view and the way I talk about song meanings. All right, cool. So now that I got my spiel out of the way, Greedy Fly, here we go. So this song, Greedy Fly, is true grunge, you know. Um, maybe some have called it post-grunge or hard grunge. But, I mean, to me, this is this is grunge. It really kind of uh, encapsulates that era of alternative rock. And I have mixed feelings about the phrase alternative rock because I think it's kind of silly. Like rock is rock. Rock inherently is alternative from the mainstream. It's kind of like a subculture. It's not pop. Even when it crosses over to pop, it's still rock. Like I don't think the qualifier of alternative 
is necessary, but for the sake of this podcast and most general conversations, like, yeah, it was the alternative era, grunge, all of that is tied up together. So whatever you want to call it. But uh, the song Greedy Fly is from Bush's 1996 album, Razorblade Suitcase, which was a fantastic album. Even though 16 Stone and The Kingdom are my personal two favorite Bush albums, Razorblade Suitcase is definitely up there. And it was actually around that time uh, when I really started getting into Bush. So anyway, first verse, do you feel the way you hate? Do you hate the way you feel? Always closest to the flame, ever closer to the blade. I am poison, crazy, lush, built these hands to lift me up. We are servants of our formulaic ways. I'm screaming daisies from 14 miles away. I got my own time, got it all today. Okay, so to me, this reads disillusionment, feeling disenfranchised, kind of hopeless, sort of fed up with the bullshit and drama of life and other people, kind of angry, sort of bummed or apathetic, cynical, skeptical, all of that. After all, during this time, again, it really was the grunge and alternative scene. And the grunge subculture was kind of a byproduct of punk and metal. And that grunge or alternative music became a genre of hard rock in and of itself. The culture, though, surrounding grunge, it was cynicism of any kind of societal norms, materialism, capitalism, conformity. You know, it was anti, right? Um, And, you, you know, like, obviously, you know, trigger warning, but drugs were a part of it. Depression and mental health stuff was a part of it too. And there was still a bit of that anarchist feel um, from punk, but it was like more mellow and intrinsic, more introspective in a way, but still pissed, you know? Uh, It was a mix of being pissed and just not caring. So a mix of anger and apathy. Uh, And I think that kind of applies to that whole generation, if you know what I mean. Um, So this verse to me kind of reflects that, the apathy, the disillusionment, the emptiness, the cynical vibe. The line ever closer to the blade. Another trigger warning here, but that could be a reference to suicide. Like, I'm this close. I'm this close to, well, whatever. I don't have to be even more triggering and paint the picture, but you get it. You know, but closer to the blade could also just mean close to danger, close to the edge, that kind of thing. I am poison, crazy, lush. Well, the most obvious and literal explanation and the easiest interpretation here would, of course, be alcohol, drugs, substance abuse, etc. Sounds like alcohol to me, but really could be whatever. So this person is down. This person is over it. This person is turning to the bottle or the needle or the blade or whatever, just to feel something or to feel nothing at all. You know what I mean? Um, We are servants of our formulaic ways. To me, it's like this is about following the routine, following what's expected of you day in and day out, going through the motions, becoming a slave to it. You know, the monotony beginning to rule us, expectations beginning to put pressure on us. This is also a theme seen in other Bush songs, in my opinion, from Machine Head to More Than Machines and others. We, as a culture, 
create these structures and patterns, these rules and expectations for ourselves. We place ourselves in a box. We put ourselves into this equation and then become servants to that formula, letting days go by of the same old, same old cycle. And we do nothing to break it oftentimes. We just complain about it. We get mad about it, but we're indentured to it. And it was all our own doing. When I say our, I mean collectively, like our society as a culture, as a whole, we did this to ourselves. So this person is subjected, um, not subjected, I'm sorry. (laughs) This person is feeling dejected, right? Dejected and maybe rejected and thinking about the expectations society has placed on them. Maybe longing for change, longing to fit in, um, and, and those things are something that we see in other lines and lyrics from other Bush songs. For example, some aspects of War Machine and Swallowed, among others, come to mind. Screaming daisies to me means professing love or excitement or just screaming one's feelings, you know. Um, normally, this would be about love, but it doesn't have to be, right? Screaming daisies also makes me think of a later Bush song, which is Flowers on a Grave. Like, It started with screaming daisies, this proclamation of love and joy and hopefulness, and then later descended into loneliness, flowers on a grave. You know, I feel a lot of Bush's songs connect like this, kind of shadows of one another, sequels and prequels and common threads woven throughout, whether it's intentional or something that's more subconscious or subliminal. So I'm screaming daisies telling you how I feel from 14 miles away, you know, in the next city over or whatever. Uh, And maybe that number has some significance to him. I don't know. Um, So I'm screaming daisies. I'm not getting what I need in return. I'm just feeling screwed over. Screaming daisies also, again, needn't be about a romantic relationship. It could be about anything the narrator is kind of excited or optimistic about or just feeling some kind of strong emotion about. Some of the rest of the song makes me think of business people and or societal greed, capitalism, all of that. So maybe it isn't about love per se, but it certainly could be. Either way, Screaming Daisies is about being excited about something, vocalizing that. Maybe you're excited about something for the first time in a while and telling the world about it. But I still feel like there's a darkness here, maybe some self-sabotage or a downward spiral at the hands of someone else, perhaps, who like caused those feelings of loathing and maybe substance abuse. So maybe um, this person is spiraling, you know, self-sabotage, whatever, and they're doing it themselves, but it's because of the way they were discarded by others or treated by others. The part towards the end of that verse, it says, got my own time. Um, I think it's just this person saying, listen, I'm trying to be patient. I want to approach this like I got all the time in the world, but I don't. I got my own timeline here. I got my own shit to do. And you're not helping. I'm over here telling you what I need and what I feel and getting nothing. So what's the deal, you know? So next we have the chorus make up your mind. I need some help to find this mine. Um, sorry, to find this mind. It would help if I could speak today. Um, so yeah, make up your mind. I need some help to find this mind. Again, it's like make up your damn mind 
because I'm losing mine. I'm over here losing my mind. Um, you need to get with the program. I've given myself to you. I've opened up. I'm over here spiraling and you're just doing your thing, ignorant to how desperately this is grating on me and messing with my head. So tell me what you want because you're being selfish with your handling of my time and my mind and my emotions. I matter too and you don't seem to get it. You don't seem to see me, you know? Uh, so the next verse is, uh, says, limbo this and limbo that. You were this and you were that. Ever know that what you fear is what you find. This Indian summer, I signed my life away. There's a greedy fly in here and I fly away. It's like, okay, we're in some kind of limbo here, like a purgatory. And this limbo, it's getting annoying. You go back and forth. What I think of you goes back and forth. This whole thing is a mess. And I'm beginning to lose faith in you or this situation. Ever know that what you fear is what you find? That's a great line. It's like sometimes you got to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Like sometimes your worst fears and nightmares do come to life. Sometimes overthinking and worrying is fruitless and pointless, but sometimes your instinct is right and your gut is right and something shady or grimy or fucked up is going on just like you thought. Whether it's a relationship or what I'm picturing here, like signing a business contract or maybe a record deal or whatever the case may be, my, you know, thought is that the narrator here is saying like, my gut says something is off and that I'm about to get screwed if I haven't been screwed over already. It might be too late. I don't know. But what I fear, it might just be coming true. So that's at least what I feel when I hear or read that Indian summer, I signed my life away. It's like this person got a bad deal. Whether it was marriage or a business deal gone wrong or whatever. It's like, you know, the whole idea of selling one's soul to the devil and all of that. And the mention of Indian summer could just be referencing the time of year, but it also could be referencing the heat. Like when we think about the phrase Indian summer, it's usually a very hot um, time of year um, that's not usually that hot. So this also could be about someone putting the heat on them. Like they they feel under, under pressure, like the heat is on kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think this is about kind of that idea of just signing your life away, like literally, just like it says. So uh, the next part, there's a greedy fly in here. Well, flies are pesky. Flies are pests. They're always buzzing around. They're dirty and gross and a nuisance. I mean, they eat shit and, and rotting animal carcasses, you know, like their babies are maggots. Like they're just so nasty. So Anyway, if you like pay attention to any kind of animal symbolism and all of that, it's interesting. Flies are seen as rotten. Flies could warn of impending danger, um, you know, in terms of uh, symbolically speaking, I mean. Also symbolically, flies could be uh, seen to alert us to areas of our lives which we might have neglected. Um, they can sometimes represent hatred malice or blame. Um, this is in part just like because of the way they make us feel. They're icky. 
The fly also is said to sometimes symbolize abrupt, unexpected changes coming into your life, the need to like move quickly, make a decision, um, the idea that maybe you're busy or you're highly distracted, always buzzing around. So those are all like the usual symbolic meanings and definitions of a fly. You know, they all kind of carry a more negative connotation. But flies can also symbolize in a way um, the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure and can carry with them a meaning of wealth and abundance. But when we look at this song, the question is, wealth and abundance for whom? Who is making out on this deal or in this relationship? Who's coming out on top? Who is reaping the benefits here? Because it doesn't seem like the narrator is. It seems like the other party being sung about is taking advantage or being selfish, and maybe they're the ones that are kind of coming out on top in all of this. Pardon me, coming out on top is what I meant. Um, Anyway, next we have the chorus a couple more times, and that's basically it. So make up your mind. I need some help to find this mind. Says that several times. Um, So this person needs the other person to make up their mind and get on with it, to stop stringing them along to stop being greedy or selfish, to do the right thing and therefore in turn help them to make a decision and move on and figure out what to do next. Uh, This is a little postscript addendum to the episode that you just heard. After I recorded, I found some uh, quotes from Gavin about this song uh, that kind of further elaborate upon the meaning. And so you heard my analysis and now I would like to share with you uh, what Gavin himself has said about the song Greedy Fly as according to the website Song Facts. So apparently um, their sudden success is what prompted this song which uh, Gavin called an introverted navel-gazing moment set to rock music. He said about this song that it was when they just had the most massive success. It is a very destabilizing feeling to go from zero to something and be torn from life as you know it. It's a beautiful thing because you know you're being successful and you have these massive crowds, but it's still destabilizing. That song was written right after the wave of all that success and that disconnect from my life as I knew it, my fear of would my life stay this way? So he said, it's just that thing of committing a private moment to a song, a private moment about needing some perspective and needing some time. Um, He went on to explain some of the references in the song and the video. So he said, Indian summer is a fake summer. It's something that happens when it comes out of turn. And by signed my life away, as you're coming up through your career and things go better, you renegotiate or you look at what you signed when you first began. And I must have been made aware that I'd signed everything away before I got successful. And so somehow that bled into the lyrics. Weirdly enough, my first manager, when I presented that song to him and he heard it, he said, that sign my life away is not about me, is it? And I was like, no, 
I loved him. He was great. So it wasn't about him. It was just the general feeling of the time. So I thought I would leave you just with those notes um, since they came from the artist himself. So that's all, folks. That's my take on Greedy Fly. Uh, As always, you know, I apologize for the little stumbles and ums and ahs and side notes. Um, But please feel free to leave a comment or rate the podcast. I'm continually learning and growing and trying to get better. Um, And I'd also love to hear like your ideas on what some of these lyrics mean to you. Or I'd like to hear, you know, songs that you want me to analyze uh, that I haven't done yet. So please follow Deconstructing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Feel free to like, share, comment, rate, all of it. Thanks so much and stay wild. We'll see you next time.